Hello. Welcome to Songs and Tales, a podcast where we delve too greedily and too deep into the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Clara. And I'm Aaron, and this week we are the Neeker Breakers that will guide you on this journey. Neek Break, Neek Break, Neek Break. It's almost Neeker Breaker season here in the upper Midwest. <laughs> yeah, we don't call them that, though. No. We call them spring peepers. That's right. Spring peepers. <laughs> We're the Middle Earth equivalent of spring peepers yep, this week. That's right. Uh, <clears throat> the Neeker Breakers do not pay, play an important role no. at all in any of the chapters that we read, but they are perhaps one of the funnier uh, moments <laughs> in uh, what is overall two pretty somber chapters from the fellowship of the ring so this week we read a knife in the dark and flight to the ford aaron do you want to give a brief summary of what uh what's going on here sure in the final chapters of the first technically the first book it's a lot of rambling and ambling through the woods yes they sort of meander their way to weathertop where they get surrounded by the black riders there's a fight Frodo's wounded by a by a cursed blade uh, that we hear a lot about for the next 25 pages. It sounds like Aragorn kind of uses herbs and plants to like help stabilize him, but we don't really see it unless I'm misremembering. He's uh he's trained in natural medicine, but he doesn't <laughs> roll that high. Yeah, he can't roll high enough to like undo the curse. That's, right. uh, that's also kind of vague. Like it makes he's, Frodo cold, I guess. He still has the wounded condition. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's wounded one. Uh, and basically, they're, they're just trying to rush to Rivendell because that's where they know they can heal Frodo because mm-hmm. they have, you know, elf elfish magic there. Um, so there's a lot of wandering around, talking about the landscape, camping in places, being mm-hmm. cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, we find someone who died but came back. Glorfindel uh, makes his triumphant return, looking a bit like Edgar Winter on a horse. Um, Is that very, your casting call to see? <laughs> he's very, he's just very white and bright. Yep. His um, name literally means golden haired. Well, there you go. Um, and there's a big showdown at the end of Flight to the Ford, where Frodo's galloping away on Glorfindel's horse. Uh, and he stands, you know, he stares down the Black Rider essentially and challenges them to come and take them. So it's kind of, it's like what the lines they give to Arwen in the film. Mm-hmm. It's actually spoken by Frodo, which is mm-hmm. kind of weird. Uh, and then the river rises, washes the Black Riders away, and Frodo passes out. Mm-hmm. And that's where we end. Yes. And that's the end of the first book. Mm-hmm. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I mean, I, I'm sure anyone listening to this podcast probably has a clue about this. Um, but technically, this this series is six books. But so the book is the the trilogy is technically six books, uh, but two are published together yeah. in each book. Um, so we're at nearing the end of the first book here. Um, I do have a random question, Aaron, and I did not put it in the notes, but I thought of it and you should be able to begins. I do think you'll be able to answer it because it's a very simple question. Mm -hmm. Would you be able to just sleep outdoors this much? Yeah. You think? Yeah, unless it was like bitterly cold or like pissing rain the entire time. I mean, it's pissing rain a lot of this time. I think so. I don't know. I mean... It wouldn't be pleasant, but I could do it. 
because they are they are roughing it. They don't have tents. Like they're just sleeping in the great outdoors. Yeah, they spend one night in a troll hole, right? Uh, Near a troll hole, maybe near a troll. I don't know. They go in and there's a lot of bones. Yes, it's kind of it's like Cyclops's cave in uh, the Odyssey. Sure, but no Cyclops. No Cyclops. Well, they're there. They're just stone. Yes. Well, we'll get there. (laughs) Stone troll pilots. That's the everyone's favorite alt indie band in Middle Earth. That's right. <laughs> Circa 2005. Um, I think I could probably sleep outdoors. I mean, same as you. I wouldn't want to sleep outdoors right. if it was really cold or really rainy. Uh, you know, I, I'll tell you, I could do it unless someone was telling me uh, random history facts the entire time that had nothing to do with our journey. Do you want to start there, Aaron? <laughs> Not, not particularly, but we can. Um, Aaron's really worked up about Aragorn's history lessons for the Hobbits. I just—it's—it's uh, it's very clear that Tolkien was mad that they weren't going to publish the Silmarillion. So he's like, "How much of this can I cram unceremoniously into this book?" And a lot of it is crammed unceremoniously yeah. into this chapter. Yep. And truly, I'm not sure if I hadn't read the Silmarillion, I would at all understand what was going on with it and as it stands like i understand what it's referring to but i don't really see the the exception of i guess tenuviel setting up arwen who we haven't met yet and we'll barely meet <laughs> i know as i said in the notes like she's the most <laughs> what was the word i used the emptiest reappearing no, right. character in these books yeah. she absolutely is um and he refuses to tell stories that would be relevant because he's like, we can't talk about Mordor or mm-hmm. the Nine or mm-hmm. any of these things while the Black Riders are around. Because mm-hmm. if they hear it's Black Rider story time, they want to hear they about themselves. Find, yes, they will They're find ego, us. They are egomaniacs and they want yeah. to they love to hear a story about themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, who doesn't? Right. You right. can't blame them. No. Um, and of course, they have the trolls, which are self-referential to the Hobbit. So yep. there's like all this stuff about Tolkien just like shoving his... His own lore, his own lore into this, these two chapters, and they they do suffer for it, I think. But that might be a conversation for later. Let's talk about it now. Okay. Why not? We're okay. here. We're there. We're every fucking where. True, and it kind of sp- it's the one thing that spreads across both these chapters, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, so maybe it is a good place to start. Um, so I get why we get story time. Like they're mm-hmm. camping out. Like it makes sense. Um, I forget is it Sam who kind of prompts this story time do you remember um it's actually mary oh is it mary yeah the first story time so there so just to kind of backtrack the story times we get we have this this first story time which is about gilgalad a little bit then the second story time which is baron and luthien and then the third story time i believe is the trolls yes that's the last last and then that's the last story time so there's three little stories in here right so yes mary prompts the first one with gilgalad when he um he's asking about weathertop and he says they have a rather barrow whitish look and strider says no there's no barrow whites this isn't a barrow there are no barrow whites here uh, the men of the west didn't live here this was a like a defensive position for mm-hmm. them but they didn't actually you know have any 
settlements. And then that kind of spirals into a conversation about this is where um, Elendil watched for Gilgalad in the days of the last alliance. And then Sam starts chanting this little poem. Um, and Mary's like, keep going. And Sam's yeah. like, I don't know the rest. And Sarah's like, it's good that you don't because it's not something we want to talk about here in the dark when we might be easily spooked. <laughs> I mean, I also agree that it's good. He doesn't, but for a different reason, which is I had enough of it. Yep. And then, yeah. And then Aragorn's like, this is a much yeah. longer poem. Maybe you'll hear about it when we get to Rivendell, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Bilbo, Bilbo translated it. Ooh. Yes. And Sam's like, he taught me my letters. <laughs> uh, yes. He said he, Sam didn't learn the, learn the part about Mordor. It gave me the shivers. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is just like a, like a tiny little glimpse yeah. of history but like you said this might actually be relevant right yeah. it might be relevant for the hobbits to learn a little bit about the black riders other than this sort of vague notion that we have currently which is that they're yeah. servants of the dark lord and that's kind of all we know no one's really told them anything else about them uh yeah i guess other than they know they're the kings right they do know that yeah i don't know i don't I think so if, maybe not I don't think they've learned that yet. I think sure. Frodo kind of learns it when he puts the ring right. on at the end he of this sees chapter. The crown, yeah. Okay. But, yeah. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Um, yeah. They don't really know much mm-hmm. about them or like why they're so evil. So that's, yeah, so that's, that's story time. Number one. Mm-hmm. And Strider quickly puts the kibosh on it because he doesn't like scary stories around the fire. <laughs> uh, what's story time number two, Aaron? Story time number two is a little further on one. Um, and this one's he's decides. Well, part of Strider's thing is like, well, I'll tell you a different story. Yes, so because I have scary stories. Yes, time. because Mary keeps asking. Mary yes, asks like, again. Tell, tell us the tale. Of tell us about Gilgalad, um, which is true, which is correct. Gilgalad is no. very cool and everyone should want to know his tale. I'm right. with Mary. Right. This is the, the story Strider's we like, want. This fucking guy. Yeah. He keeps asking me about Gilgalad. I think that I, my theory is Strider doesn't know. That'd be incredible if Strider's just like pretending not to know. He's like, it's he's too just, scary. He's just deflecting. Here, I'll tell you this one. Yeah, I'll tell you this story about Tanuvia, which is also nudge, nudge, wink, wink about me. Right. Once again, Strider is like. Elven lady wife. Yep. Once well, again. Betrothed, I guess, at this point. Strider is like, oh, wait, here's a poem about me that I have memorized. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it goes on for a long time. We get we get like a full two pages of verse here. Yeah. Um, and once again, about Baron and Luthien. Not great verse. No. Uh, we kind of get the sense, right, that some of these lines apply to Strider as well. Mm-hmm. You know, like walking alone, sorrowing. Sure, we get it. Yep. Strider's kind of a sad, sad boy, sad king boy. Yep. And, you know, the, the fleeing figure of Luthien mm-hmm. is the same thing, right? Like, he's alone roaming in the forest. Yeah. Like, so we get the connection. Like, I get it. Uh, but it goes on and on. Um, and, of course, Strider sighs at the end of reciting it <laughs> before he, he talks again and tells them more about this story. So he so not only do we get the verse, we then get mm-hmm. this follow up, which is sizable. Yes. Where he details again the whole this story. It's a very you know. long paragraph. Yep. Like we get references to, you know, to Thingle, like we get a lot of the Silmarils come up, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of detail in this section. 
Um, and we get another yet another ending to their story, which I think is a little different uh-huh. once again. Yep. Um, to the others we've seen, but still the mystery remains of what happened to Baron and Luthien. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get all that, and then I know again it gets kind of tied into the action by Strider being like, "Well, Elrond's their kin." And so am I. And so am I, right? Yeah, but we're not so going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah. So this, it, it does again. Like, so I guess I'm being a little harsh by saying it's totally irrelevant, but it's a lot. Like, it doesn't need to it's, be. It doesn't need to be quite this long. Correct, you know, the yeah. the verse didn't have to be in there. And no. I actually think there's this really funny line I wrote in my margins, just a big LOL, <laughs> because after he sighs and and starts talking again, he says that is a song. He said, in yeah. a mode that is called An Thanath, uh, among the elves, but it is hard to render in our yeah. common speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, is this Tolkien giving like a little excuse for why his verse is so bad? I think so. <laughs> because it's a translation. Yeah, so you can't translate the <laughs> the original Elven. Yeah. So I I got a big uh, big big <laughs> kick out of that. Yeah, I underlined that too um but yeah i mean we pretty much get like the second half of the silmarillion condensed in this one paragraph and yeah Yeah. it's it's relevant but like maybe not as relevant again to what's actually happening currently right it's it's relevant to the lore of this world but it's not relevant to like helping them on their current part of their quest right in terms of like understanding their enemy Right. And like the full connection to Aragorn is only understood after the fact. Mm-hmm. Like your first read that you're not going to. You're never going to. You're not going to make the connection Mm-mm. between him and Baron. Like this is not. No, you're probably not even going to. I mean, if you skip the appendices at the <laughs> right. end of the Return of the King, you might not even. Right. You might never right. make the connection. Yeah. Because, um... again, Arwen is so erased from the book that it's hard mm. to. Right. You may be like, oh, is Baron kind of Aragorn, but you're never going to really make much of a connection, I don't think, between Arwen and Luthien, because she's just not present enough. No, I mean, she's really she's just a sort of figure. And like the the purpose. Right. And like the idea that she gives up her immortality, which like obviously we know happens. Mm -hmm. But like again it's not very explicit and so mm-hmm. and you only get this mention here once of of luthien doing that so right yeah, if it's, it's if it is set up for their like relationship and the fact that in a few chapters we're going to meet arwen and kind of see aragorn in this completely different setting it's like pretty i don't know it's kind of weak to me yeah doesn't really do much but again it's it feels like he's like i came up with all this backstory i gotta put it in right right i mean um 100 you know. so <laughs> i that's, think that's, that's what's what happening getting, here yeah. um so i yeah like i said i understand why it's like story time because they are camping out mm-hmm. um but i kind of wish the i don't know there's opportunities for other things to be discussed here and not even stories i don't know like there could be character moments here that just aren't Mm -hmm. aren't here either 
But I think for Tolkien, this is character development. It is, right? Yeah. Like, because understanding, right, this whole sort of history and lineage is the character development of mm-hmm. Aragorn, for, well, from Strider to Aragorn, if we want to think yeah. of it that way. So, like, yeah. for him, right, that's what it, that's, that is the purpose that it serves. But I think to us, it's not, you know, uh, significant character development because it's not actually watching a character interact right. with the world yeah. around them or other characters. It's just like, oh, the, the only way to develop this character is to give you this lengthy yeah, mythos. history lesson. Right. And yeah. now you understand him. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't. But OK. Right. Like, I know nothing about his character still. Mm-mm. I just know that he's, yeah, dis- descended from the right people. Correct. But for Tolkien. That's everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is funny. I think these two chapters are actually more about Aragorn than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Um, and for different reasons. Which is, I don't know if, we, if we're ready to move on. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is maybe jumping around, but I think Flight to the Ford makes sense. If you think of these two sections or these two chapters as being really Aragorn focused. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the notes I asked the question about, and I think, I think you feel the same way. Like the, the sort of danger to Frodo is kind of just not there. Yeah. In, like the whole, it's like a MacGuffin, like the whole, the whole purpose of this section ostensibly is to get him mm-hmm. to Rivendell before he succumbs to this wound. But mm-hmm. we don't really like, he says he's cold sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they have to put him on the horse. Yeah, and they have to put him on, like, he's, I guess, a little weak, maybe. But mm-hmm. I don't, I never got the sense that he's, like, facing imminent Not until death. the very end, right? Right, when that last, sort of, yeah. The last couple pages when he starts talking about how kind of the world is starting to appear sort of faded and mm-hmm. blurred around the edges. And you're like, okay, well, something's clearly happening here. But mm-hmm. they're in the, I mean, they're in the wilderness for a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's like a week that they're just, more, like, right? wandering. Like 10 days or something? I think, yeah. Because at one point he says, like, it's a 10 days journey. So it's going to take a fortnight. Oh, okay. Then two maybe weeks. he says, like, 10 days from Weathertop to Rivendell I think, or something. I think I it's 10 remember. days from Weathertop to Rivendell. The whole okay. trip is a fortnight or something along those lines. Yeah, it's, okay. That sorry, everybody. It's in here. We just didn't write it down. It's, our bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's fine. We got there. But, like, it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there's no sense of real urgency i mean there is in the sense that they keep kind of saying we need to get to right. rivendell right. but right we don't really see frodo succumbing to his wound we have this lengthy poem about these trolls that sam yeah. recites and it's right. like if we're so urgent why are we stopping to let sam i mean he does say the word boner which is incredible uh <laughs> meaning mistake but that's the only good thing about <laughs> this poem um yeah, there's just no, right. and we know the Black Riders are kind of Correct. Yeah, closing on in on them. Um, but other than that, yeah, there's no real, there's maybe, there's, the end obviously is very suspenseful. I would say the only other yeah. moment of suspense in this mm-hmm. chapter that should theoretically be very suspenseful is when they have to cross the bridge. Right, right. Um, yep. But yeah, a lot of the suspense is kind of drained out of this. Mm-hmm. Like if you, I know we don't, talk too much about try not to talk too much about the films but yes it's but so fascinating how different this yeah this is, is a like section where because this would be oh so boring like watching paint dry yeah um so yeah so i, I think 
why i mean i think honestly the the whole point of this though is to show how good strider is mm-hmm. at navigating through the wilderness like we see a lot of him mm-hmm. as like a tracker and mm-hmm. he's like reading signs on the road footprints he's finding you know he finds the little stone that's left by glorfindel mm-hmm. um and that's by the bridge right mm-hmm. that's on yeah. the bridge yeah um so we see him as a sort of like you know wilderness expert in a lot of ways that i I think that's kind of the reason this chapter exists the way it does is to Mm -hmm. show him as someone who's knowledgeable about the land. Like he talks about, you know, it's X number of days here, this part of the world. I don't really know. Like there's the troll lands to the North. Mm -hmm. He's like, but I'm not familiar with it. Um, And this section feels to me like Tolkien doing Fenimore Cooper, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, where we do see Strider as sort of the Natty Bumpo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. you know, wilderness expert leading this kind of like band of neophyte, <laughs> you know, wilderness troop through mm-hmm. the woods. Like he's he's the one who has all this knowledge. Uh, and there's other like ways they're similar. You know, Natty Bumpo is raised by Delaware Indians. Uh, Strider has this long sort of connection to the elves too. So they like cross cultures in ways. They both have named weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Str- and they're both, those are both signs of their kind of, prestige um strider is the king natty bumpo is this expert hunter you know he's the deer slayer they have like six different names like mm-hmm. you know Strider's longshank strider aragorn natty bumpo is the deer slayer mm-hmm. you know he's all these a bunch of other names like lap ear and like all these crazy names he goes by throughout all these books so yeah there's this way in which i think we're being taken into like tolkien doing cooper mm-hmm. for a chapter two as a way again to just yeah, show and the la- like the landscape description yeah. here, right, is very really on- very adjacent uh, mm-hmm. to right what yeah. what you're gonna get in something like Last of the Mohicans. If someone if yep. if people don't know what we're talking about when Aaron says Aaron's referring to yeah, sorry, all the Cooper, yes, he's referring yeah. to the leather stocking tales, which the best known of which is mm-hmm. Last of the Mohicans, um, mm-hmm. which you've probably had to read at some point. Or you've seen a movie version of it. Yeah, or you faked reading it at some yeah. point. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the landscape for sure, like they, they're surveying these vistas of mm-hmm. the landscape and he's like pointing out different objects of note. It feels mm-hmm. very much the same way that like Natty Bumpo would do that. Like, you know, right. here's this mountain, he'll name it, or here's this stream and this rock formation. Like he knows all these things. Right. Um, and he knows like what the plants do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very much this. Which is fascinating to me, too. Like, he's building up this part of his character alongside the sort of kingly mm-hmm. lineage that's maybe less explicit to the new reader. But here it's very clear, like, what his status and expertise is. Right. I mean, he's good at everything. He's just one of those guys, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's kind of like, yeah, he's just jack of all trades right at this point. Um like he talks about, well, we, if we run out of food, we can always hunt. Yes. Yep. He can hunt a little. Um, so there's oh, like he knows how to get them there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's no doubt that Strider will deliver mm-hmm. them to Rivendell. Right. I mean, I think the hobbits have a bit of doubt, uh, but I think the doubt is in their own abilities, not in Strider's. Right. And I think this is also done I, to help build their trust and our trust mm-hmm. in strider right as like right not just some random ranger again because i'm trying to think of this as as someone who had never read this mm-hmm. book who had never approached you know tolkien before 
you wouldn't really understand Strider as this character that's going to be revealed to be the king, right? You wouldn't have that yet. You just have kind of these glimpses of, you know, the sort of vision um, in the Barrow Downs and his, you know, discussion of his poem and his sword. But you still wouldn't, I don't think, like, really grasp what this all Mm -hmm. meant. And so I think that these chapters and what you're saying about him being kind of like built up as this expert ranger really i mean he's discussed as a ranger but sort of i'm thinking of that in like bigger terms and very much also in like D D terms right <laughs> he's like a level 20 ranger um <laughs> <laughs> right like the so hobbits are all level one bards yes basically yeah. <laughs> um Right, so they're like building up him in such a way that, okay, we may not know him as a king yet, but at least we're starting to trust him as this expert sort of nature Mm -hmm. master. Um, Mm -hmm. And so then when it is finally revealed that he is also a king, it's like, whoa. (laughs) Right. It's a little uh, almost like shocking that he is both one and the other at the same time, but also right. shows, I think how far he's had to like separate himself from his kingly lineage. Right. In the yeah. sense that he is, ne- right. he's also become this really right. like nature adjacent mm-hmm. wanderer. Yeah. And he seems more at home. Here yeah. Than in Bree. Right, like the further he is in the wilderness, the more comfortable he mm-hmm. appears. He seems more relaxed. He doesn't have that split personality that yeah. we talked about in the last yeah. chapter. The characters definitely gelled here a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, both probably from a writing perspective, but also just, yeah, he seems more like this is his mm-hmm. yeah, place where he feels mm-hmm. more comfortable. Right. He has a very strong connection with the land, yeah. which is interesting. And I think, you know, as we as we continue to discuss more about him as sort of this king and yeah. philosopher. And I mean, he's like, <laughs> I have in my yeah. notes, your your notes, you mentioned Charlemagne. I have uh-huh. Char- Charlemagne uh, plus Marcus Aurelius, sort yeah. of, right? Yeah. Um, but right, like his connection to the land, I think, is very important for him him as a king as well and we see at the end of return of the king we'll talk about it when we get there but there is this instance of him like kind of going back into the wilderness to like do this very important that's right yeah kind of botany project that needs to get done um no one else can do it but i think i think that's very important to kind of making him the ideal king is not just one who is like sitting on a throne yes like denethor obviously not a king but sort of a Mm -hmm. nice contrast a foil if we will to aragorn um Mm -hmm. but as as one who has like gotten his hands dirty who knows the land who understands its history um so we're seeing right all of these layers of aragorn really in these two chapters come out and maybe that's also part of this historical like 
<laughs> uh, class that he's putting all the yeah. hobbits through is right. It's yeah. just it's just another layer of like what is what makes this ideal king is like he's connected to the land. He right. knows its history. Mm-hmm. He knows his own history. He yep. knows the history of like the world that we're living in. Um, yeah, he's right. He's preserved this history that's mm-hmm. maybe in th- in danger of fading away mm-hmm. with the passage. Like cause the, when the elves leave, right? It's going to be up to men right. to preserve it. And from what we've seen in Bree, yeah, maybe not up to. Maybe, they don't seem like a lot of historians. Yeah, I'm uh, not even sure a lot of them can write. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of chroniclers in in Bree, but um, but no, I think that I like that point a lot but yeah he, and that yeah it helps me make sense of why there's so much history in this section right it doesn't make me it doesn't necessarily make me like it but like at least mm. at least i can understand you know right be, besides just tolkien being a little salty that he didn't get to publish oh the silmarillion God. do you want to talk a little bit about charlemagne sure Char- charlemagne as the french would say <laughs> that's right champagne champagne and charlemagne um, <laughs> yeah, so this actually came up uh, because I was thinking about a question. I think it was last episode you asked mm-hmm. about why Aragorn, as Gondor's inevitable king, uh, has this authority over everybody else, right? And this mm-hmm. was partly, I think, inspired to by the Bree, people mm-hmm. of Bree having no one, no mm-hmm. master, you know, no gods, no kings. That's right. It's a <laughs> um, socialist state. Or, or anarcho syndicalist, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> um, but. Yes, I was interested. I thought that was a really interesting question. And I think this section actually makes me help help me think about it a little bit more, oddly enough, um, Mm -hmm. even though it's less kingly um, in some respects. But yes, I was thinking about how his authority might be modeled in some ways on the Holy Roman Emperor, this idea of, you know, the the first among equals. So the, the Holy Roman Emperor was king of all these Christ- these catholic monarchies essentially mm-hmm. and uh they all theoretically were equals as mm-hmm. royals but he was given the status of first among equals mm-hmm. um, primus inter pares in the latin oh my gosh uh and his you know his authority is both someone, hereditary someone and... <laughs> get this guy out of here <laughs> um i'm gonna get that as a tattoo though it's pretty good uh so, yes, I think that's why Aragorn has power. Like, that's the sort of nature of his power, right? Is that he is the the king of kings, like Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> LOL. Uh, our Messiah conversation comes back again. Um, and his authority is kind of this, like, hereditary. But also, as we talked about last time, too, he has this kind of moral example, mm-hmm. uh, which also echoes a bit of what the Holy Roman Emperor was, at least in the mythology of the Holy right. Roman Emperor, like in actuality, of course, they were all just as corrupt as the rest of the scumbums ruling Western Europe um, throughout the Middle Ages. Um, but Charlemagne might be an interesting counterpoint too, because the you know restoration of Gondor kind of echoes the mm-hmm. the reunification mm-hmm. of Western Europe after mm-hmm. Rome Rome's collapse, and like Charlemagne is seen as this you know father of Europe because mm-hmm. of it. Um, so that's why I was thinking about it. Is that you know. Maybe that's one way of thinking about Gondor. Yeah, I think that's actually really helpful. Okay. Um, Though interesting, right? Like, I mean, it's hard not to think that Tolkien at least had some of this structure in mind when Mm -hmm. he was, right, kind of coming up with his 
I don't know, system of government. But it's interesting that he would turn to this unapologetically French monarch when we know that, you know, ideally he would have turned to Arthur and and more kind of Mm -hmm. British (laughs) Anglo-Saxon system of rule. Right. Uh, But obviously Great Britain did not have that. Under Arthur, it was more tribal, right? Mm-hmm. You had, which I guess you could also think of Middle Earth as as sort of tribal rule. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Rohan is its yeah. own tribe, and Gondor so is its own, yeah. and the, yeah, and and yeah. and and so uh, Aragorn is sort of this not unifier, but like presides over all these various right, um, right. governments. But I think Charlemagne makes more sense because it is literally like like a noble, mm-hmm. like a noble house mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and other right. nobility sort right. of recognizes his mm-hmm. authority. Yeah. Um, and that authority is like this mix of. Yeah, hereditary, but also religious. Right, it is like, like the Holy Roman Emperor. Mm-hmm. He was crowned by the Pope. Yep. Like this, up until yeah. up until fifteen oh eight was the last one. I wonder why. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yes, crowned by the Pope, and uh... yeah, right. So that he was, and uh, yeah, so he's kind of this other representative of the papacy in a weird way, mm-hmm. even though they were often at odds too. But yeah, well, we don't need to get other... into that. <laughs> yeah. So I, different... but I think the mythology of Charlemagne applies here, right? Yes. This, yeah. Unifying figure. And, um, and it's interesting because I think the free interactions maybe reinforce this because at first we're told they belong to nobody but themselves. But mm-hmm. in the knife in the dark chapter, when they're leaving, mm-hmm. there's this line where, you know, they're, they're walking through the, walking out of town. There's kind of mm-hmm. crowds kind of gathered to watch yes. them leave, including Bill Fernie, who's like being a shithead. Yep. Um, but all these others are just sort of watching, staring at them. Um, and it's in Tolkien writes, but Strider seemed to be held in awe by most of the Brelanders and those that he stared at shut their mouths and drew away. Mm-hmm. Um, so even they seem to recognize his authority. Something, yeah. Yeah. Cause it's not that they're afraid. I, I think awe is significant there. Mm-hmm. It's not just that they see him as this like tough person, mm-hmm. but there's this sort of like reverence. Yeah. Yeah. Awe is very different than fear. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's this like weird sort of reverse Palm Sunday. <laughs> Yeah, I was just about to say, it feels very much like Palm Sunday. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange, but it it feeds into this whole mythos of Strider that we're being given. And it's really interesting how that mythos changes depending on whether he's in Bree or he's Mm -hmm. in the woods. Right. Right. Right, because he's not Charlemagne when he's in the woods. No. Yeah, I don't know who this (laughs) is. Natty Bumpo, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't don't know who else the... yeah, I don't know what the other historical analog would be there, but I don't, right, I don't, yeah, he's I don't know very that there different. Is one. He's very different. Yeah. The woods. Um, yeah. Yeah. And he's not, I mean, he's not Charlemagne. Don't get us wrong. No, it's not yeah, like a one to one. It's it's more <laughs> that his system of authority, like you said, mm. is modeled after like yeah. Charlemagne's, um, but also kind of the historical framework of middle earth is very similar to 
yeah the holy roman empire at this point in time mm-hmm. if you if you, again this is one of those things if you don't know right charlemagne yeah. was the first emperor after the fall of rome in like three mm-hmm. centuries so basically this great civilization yep. <laughs> numenor fell <laughs> uh-huh. uh kind of into ruin and then charlemagne was crowned and sort of brought right. it back for a time but right and that's what i mean that's what aragorn's long arc here is too right right that he's gonna not only reunify the kingdoms we are going to see but also eventually include the lands that were the dark lords too mm-hmm. right There's, so he's mm-hmm. reasserting sort of this dominion of the numenorians mm-hmm. over all of middle earth for the first time and basically forever mm-hmm. <laughs> um so it's even more kind of dramatic than Oh, well, and way more (laughs) dramatic than Charlemagne's story, because like he actually was a descendant of these great. He is Aragorn is a descendant of these great kings, whereas I mean, Charlemagne was a was a a nobility. Right. Right. But he wasn't directly descended from the emperors of Rome. Well, probably. I mean, I mean, he's just a he was a Carolingian, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Okay. So he was not. No, I mean, and frankly, they, most they, of they fucked up the hereditary and, and, line there. Just to yeah, I mean, it, frankly, you know. most Roman, most Roman emperors were not actually descendants of the emperor who came before no, them because they, they had all this weird. Each other. Well, and they had this weird system of like ado- they would adopt heirs. Oh, that's right. It's like so, like Mark, yeah. Boat. So, like Marcus, <laughs> basically, Marcus Aurelius was not like a direct descendant of the emperor before him, but he was a his his adopted father was adopted by that emperor. So his adopted mm. father became emperor. And then he, he and his brother yeah. actually both were, uh, served as emperor. I just, Marcus Aurelius is always in my mind as I'm reading about Aragorn. So this is uh-huh. kind of right. Um, because sense. I think he, right. Charlemagne, the system that the the historical kind of system of the Holy Roman Empire empire during the reign of Charlemagne is very much the analog for what's going on mm-hmm. in middle earth at this time. Mm-hmm. Marcus right. Aurelius is the analog for Aragorn for me <laughs> in yeah. many ways yeah, when yeah. he's like King, right? Not here, not in the woods, but as like a, as a ruling figure, this sort mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. philosopher King yeah. is very much right. Aragorn. Absolutely. And does that make uh, Elrond Pope Leo III? Probably. Okay. <laughs> Let's just say. We're back. And we have a bit of a puzzler for us. <laughs> With this one, I guess, and, by and maybe you, you uh, perhaps. But uh, so this is in a knife in the dark in the midst of their their flight. Um, and I think they're actually, yeah, they're at Weathertop, and they're like they know that they're being kind of surrounded by the Black Riders at this point. Mm-hmm. And Mary, who is really just the question king in this chapter, uh, Mary asks Strider, he says, "Can the riders see?" I mean, they usually have to have used their noses rather than their eyes. Smelling for us. If smelling is the right word, at least in the daylight. And he's talking to Strider. So he says, but you made us lie down flat when you saw them uh, down below. And now you talk of being seen if we move. And Strider, kind of, he talks a little bit about some other things. And then he says, um, the black horses can see and the riders can use men and other creatures as spies as we found at Bree. 
They themselves do not see the world of light as we do, but our shapes cast shadow in their minds, which only the noon sun destroys. And in the dark, they perceive many signs and forms that are hidden from us. And they, then they are most to be feared. And at all times, they smell the blood of living things, desiring and hating it. Senses, too, there are other than sight or smell. We can feel their presence. It troubled our hearts as soon as we came here and before we saw them. They feel ours more keenly. So I'm curious to know what these other senses are that uh, Aragorn is talking about. And I don't think they're touch. Taste. (laughs) Taste. (laughs) Um, Yes, he says there are other senses, too. So he seems to suggest that they don't see the same way that Mm -hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. and again this is I, I don't know if they're like are they like between realms or like what is going on with these these dudes um, so we know that but that's about all he tells us uh, and they can smell our blood <laughs> which yeah, they desire vampire yeah we do have this kind of vampire thing going on again which I think we talked about way back in one of the chapters we mentioned that they kind of echo the vampire myth yeah. in some ways. But anyway, yeah. Thoughts on other senses? What? Spidey senses? What, what are the other yeah, senses? Yeah, it is just it is just spidey sense. Okay. It tingles, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So I saw this question and my, I made a little note and I, I wrote, I think you're correct that the obvious answer is not the answer. <laughs> uh, but it is vague what these extra senses yeah. are. Um. Though I do think Aragorn sort of tells us when he says, you know, they feel our presence. I think that's mm-hmm. that's one of those senses is like they somehow. And I think it's it's so hard because how do we put a name to a sense that like we don't have and right. doesn't exist? So like, but I think that is one of the senses, right, okay. is that they can feel the presence of living things. Um, I think they also sense. They like almost like empath like yeah not but not in like a positive way right they they sense like emotion right Mm -hmm. they can they feel i believe like the fear of the hobbits and they obviously can sense the ring which is very evil but they also like can sense good and flee from it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i think we get a little a little sense of how they see the world when frodo puts on the ring Mm-hmm. And when he's finally succumbing to his wound at the end of the flight to the fords, so like when he puts on the ring, he sees the figures of the nine, except for there aren't nine, there are five. Right. They're not. Uh, there. But either way, he like can actually see them as these like kings, right? Um, and they can see him, but the rest of the world sort of flickers and fades around him. Um, so I believe like that's how they actually see the world. Mm-hmm. in sort of the shadow realm and i think you're right they are sort of in between right they're not alive but they're not dead um yeah. so i i think that sort of is why okay i wish you everyone could see the really questioning look on my face right now <laughs> <laughs> no it makes sense um but then also the way that frodo perceives glorfindel mm-hmm. when they meet a, he talks about how he's kind of shim like shimmer like he gives off a light yes and yeah. then at the very end before he passes out he sees him again and he's just a white light yeah um 
we could talk about why, but I think that again is sort of one of these senses is like he's seeing almost like the essence of a thing mm-hmm. rather than the thing itself. Mm-hmm. We have that earlier too with the Black Riders at one point. One of the hobbits describes them as being darker than the shadow. Yes, that yes. They're standing in. And it's so like, like they're this kind of further at they're like not just dark, they're the absence of light. Right. Somehow. And like okay, that is seeing, right? Like it's so hard to separate that yeah. from like that sight. We think of it as the sense of sight, but is it really? Because we can't actually see we yeah. can only see the right. object. We can't see what it is. Right. Truly, you know. Right. Sinepaun peep, right? This is not a pipe. It's, you know, we're seeing the thing, but we're only seeing the part of it that we can. Right. That we can actually, yeah. like, perceive. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> right. Whereas Frodo and the riders are perceiving something else. They're seeing something else, but it's like a completely different thing than we would see with our eyes. Mm hmm. So it's really yeah. it's really confusing, but I think that's okay. I think that's a I think that's as good of an answer as I can try to mm-hmm. come up with here. Okay. Do we like it, yeah. Aaron? It is getting darker and darker in your room. There's <laughs> like a huge storm rolling in, and I'm just watching like by the minute. Aaron is just like sitting in a darker, darker, darker <laughs> room. Uh, yeah, it's uh, darker than the shadow. It's the black against. riders are rolling in. Maybe. Um. Um. But since we're talking about the Black Riders, let's talk about what they do to Frodo. <laughs> Poor sure. Frodo. Poor little Frodo. It's, he gets Although, got. Does he do it to himself? Maybe. Well, putting the ring on seems to be a mistake. He only has himself to blame. So yeah, Frodo, if you didn't gather from a knife in the dark and Aaron's summary, does get stabbed. Yeah, he gets he gets got by the. Well, we find out later it's the Witch King. Right. Very of course. cool. I mean, you're going to get stabbed. Anyways. You got to get stabbed by the Witch King. So this is and this is another interesting thing about these chapters. Sorry, I'm going to digress here. The main <laughs> action of these chapters happens in like the last three paragraphs. Yes. Like there's so much before a knife in the dark in in a knife in the dark before Frodo gets stabbed. And then it's just like the end of the chapter. <laughs> Mm-hmm. same with flight to the ford you have all this nonsense of them just wandering and wandering and wandering and then like the last two pages are the actual flight to the ford <laughs> right it's bizarre anyway so yes yeah, so the the black riders creep up on them when they're at weathertop uh you know mary and pippin are overcome with terror sam is as well where the heck is strider during all of this he's off gathering wood Keep or whatever he's doing <laughs> Um, and Frodo is terrified and he puts on the ring now I have a question so my question for Aaron for this uh, section is um, what do you think of the way the ring tempts Frodo in this chapter does it seem like this temptation to put on the ring is different than the previous chapters so like in Tom Bombadil's house while on the Barrow Downs and while on the road to Buckland um, mm-hmm. I did put those sections for you in mm-hmm. the notes yeah, for you to read those. so you can reference them because <laughs> i think it's i personally think it's different but i want to hear what your thought is as well yeah i would say 
they seem to be escalating mm-hmm. in, in seriousness. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the right word, but I don't know. It is interesting. I hadn't thought about it being different until you mentioned this. Yeah. I'll, I'll, so the three, the four different instances. So when they're on the road to Buckland, the text is a sudden unreasoning fear of discovery lay hold of Frodo. And he thought of his ring. He hardly dared to breathe. And yet the desire to get it out of his pocket became so strong that he began to slowly move his hand. He felt that he only had to slip it on and then he would be safe. Okay, so the first one, he's motivated by safety, but he doesn't Mm -hmm. put it on. The second time is when he's in the house of Tom Bombadil. Tom has just like put on the ring and tossed it in the air and kind of made like a lark of the whole thing. And it says it was the same ring or it looked the same and weighed the same for that ring had always seemed to Frodo to weigh strangely heavy in the hand. But something prompted him to make sure. And the text goes on to say like that he was maybe a little annoyed with Tom Bombadil for making light of it and kind of wanted to prove to him that like this is serious business. So he puts it on. (laughs) Then the Barrow Downs was then a wild thought of escape came to him. He wondered if he put on the ring, whether the Barrow White would miss him and he might find some way out. He thought of himself running free over the grass, grieving for Mary and Sam and Pippin, but free and alive himself. Gandalf would admit that there had been nothing else he could do. So in this instance, it's Mm -hmm. the idea again of escape of safety. He wants to be use the ring to make himself safe. And then obviously in this last one, he did not forget the barrow nor the message of Gandalf, but something seemed to be compelling him to disregard all warnings. And he longed to yield not with the hope of escape or of doing anything either good or bad. He simply felt that he must take the ring and put it on his finger. So I think there is a distinct difference. There is like no external motivator. I mean, we know he's scared, but like he's mm. not trying to escape. He's not trying to be safe. He just is like, I have to put this ring on. Who wants to, who wants to know when he dies? Right. Like there's no. The, and and it's interesting that the text says something seemed to be compelling yeah. him to disregard all warnings. He is not disregarding all warnings. Mm-hmm. There's an external force we've talked of before. And this is where I think Tolkien is giving us more clues here as to how the ring works. Because, like, you know, in the last couple times, Frodo has had very compelling reasons to put the ring on. And, like, he has been compelled to put it on. But this is the first instance where, really, the text says that something else, there's an external force willing him. And I think here it's both the ring and Frodo doesn't understand. But I do think, obviously, it's the ring rates, Right. right, kind of compelling him to put it on. I think, obviously, in these other instances, like, you know, especially on the road to Buckland. Yeah, I was going to say it's similar. It's the same, it's the same no. sort of drive, right? The the wraiths are using their will to compel him to put on the ring so that they can sense it more easily. But in Frodo's mind, in his little internal monologue, he has the desire to get it out of his pocket and put it on, mm-hmm. right? There's nothing right. external that we can see from the text causing him to want to do that. Where in this case... There is something something is compelling him to disregard all warnings. And I think Mm -hmm. so. I think we're seeing here, right, the ring working in this way where we we keep asking ourselves, is it playing on these internal? Oh, right. Yeah. Right. These kind of the, the primal internal, you know, evil or weaknesses of a person's character. Or is the ring this external force of evil that is that then like acts upon a person. Mm -hmm. And I think this, 
this description really complicates that because I think earlier descriptions we can say like, oh, the ring is kind of just playing up these right. emotions within Frodo right. and making him want to kind of follow those baser instincts of, you know, seeking his own safety and escaping and like leaving his friends. Whereas here it's like the yeah. ring wants to be, the ring is the one who wants to be put on. Frodo is not really desirous of putting the ring on at this point which I think makes it more tragic that this is when he gets st- yeah. it's got right. <laughs> like is because he was, he, he is actually fighting in this instance. Whereas in the other instances, we see him either succumbing or coming close to succumbing to put the ring on. Um, because he's succumbing almost to his own will and his own desires. And here he's being forced to succumb to the de- desire of the ring and the ring rates. Hmm. So yeah, I think seems- Tolkien's really muddying the waters of like what the way this evil object works. Yeah, it's more proximity here then. Mm-hmm. Which I think makes sense. I'm trying to just the, later on. Do we get more information about like as he gets closer to Sauron, the ring will exert a greater force on him? Yes. Well, and physically, film? no, physically, okay. like it's heavy. Yeah, right. in the in the books, okay. we st- we, you know, we get descriptions of like the ring feels heavier, and and Frodo, mm-hmm. right, he has to fight to like maintain his own will more right. and more the closer right. that it gets okay. to Sauron. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like here it's the ring race are bringing that closer mm-hmm. because of their connection to Sauron. Mm-hmm. I do love like I do hate. I love and hate. So I love the description of the Black Riders when he sees them here. And I really hate the Peter Jackson characterization of them in the films of like these kind of like rotty corpsey guys. Because he's not, they're not really, they're like, they're kings, they're five figures, um, in their white faces burnt keen and merciless eyes under their mantles were long gray robes upon their Gray hairs were helms of silver, and their haggard hands were swords of steel. The third was taller than the others. His hair was long and gleaming, and on his helm was a crown. In one hand he held a long sword, and in the other a knife. Both the knife and the hand that held it glowed with a pale light. Mm -hmm. Which, again, I think is this evil. I think it's this, like, again, this sixth sixth sense, right? Like, Frodo can see this evil object glowing in his hand. Right. and then he's, you know, bears down upon Frodo and stabs him. And Aaron, what does Frodo say when he is stabbed? Ugh. We'll move on into cries our next out. section. He cries out the first lines of a poem. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, Elbreth, Gilthoniel, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of uh, some, some people who've thought about it have suggested that it's kind of an similar to like an appeal to the virgin mother as an intercessor mm-hmm. like it has the mm-hmm. same kind of function um it's a it's a poem, elvish poem that's addressed to the var you know addressed to varda mm-hmm. um, it's originally in cinderin so he's reciting the first line which is mm-hmm. in cinderin um and we only know the first stanza of it it's the only one that tolkien wrote um, so the full one in translation is O Elbereth, star kindler, white glittering slants down, sparkling like jewels from the firmament, firmament, the glory of the star host to remote distance, far having gazed from the tree tangled middle lands. 
uh, Fanulos to the I will chant on this side of the ocean here on this side of the great ocean. So it is this sort of appeal to mm-hmm. a higher power. So he mm-hmm. does this right as he gets stabbed <laughs> on the other top. Um, and I was reminded of our question from at some point in Silmarillion a while ago. I think it was your question, actually, which was both what is the religion in Middle Earth and more specifically, like, why are there no temples or churches or mm-hmm. any kind of like religious authorities yes i think i asked this when we read oh gosh i don't even remember was it like children of urine or i feel like it was one of the longer ones that we it might have been it might have also been the akalabeth oh you know what it might have been i don't know it was a while ago anyway i do remember asking this question i'm glad you're bringing it up here okay you're welcome so yeah so i was thinking about religion in middle earth and maybe here we have kind of a Maybe not a complete answer, but maybe a suggestion of a mm-hmm. possible answer. So the theory goes um, that sort of religion in Middle Earth, at least at this point, is kind of this mixture of which we talked about in Silmarillion, um, like a sort of Hellenic like mm-hmm. pantheon of the gods. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you don't really have like, I mean, they do have priests and things in, in Greek myth, but the focus is really on art and beauty mm-hmm. as a source of divinity. So it's more about like stories and poems and, you know a vase right the image right. on a vase like that's sort of where you find beauty and divinity um and truth you know. <laughs> okay truth Keats. is beauty yeah cut it out <laughs> uh, uh so here we have him like crying out this poem this first line of a poem, right, poem. Right? but it's mm-hmm. also an appeal mm-hmm. um so it kind of has this weird like proto-catholic part mm-hmm. to it as well right because it's tolkien so of course he will right um so it's this mix of like you know art object is worship object but mm-hmm. also you know appeal to a god to intercede mm-hmm. um you know along the lines of yeah virgin mother right mm-hmm. the intercessor um so yeah i was thinking about too like is the fading of the elves also a change in like does that mean that sort of religion is going to change in middle earth as we oh. as the men are ascendant interesting <laughs> like how is that going to change religion if you know because we talked so much about how culture is tied in these books to specific groups it's mm-hmm. distinct although here of course we have frodo making an appeal in an, in the tongue of another culture right interesting but um if the elves are fading what does that mean for the system of belief that they seem to be embodying um, are we seeing a shift <laughs> potentially to something new and like if it's the men like what does that mean because we haven't really seen a whole lot of the art mm-hmm. of men at this point. Yeah, and I don't think we do. Not really. I mean, we have references, I guess, to the Numenorians being kind of like Egyptian. Yeah, like already. But, yeah, but that's like in the Silmarillion. Right. We don't really have that here. Um. So yeah, I don't know if we have. An, we don't have to have an answer. I was just curious. Yeah, I don't have an answer, but I I do. I like this theory about like what religion is Mm -hmm. and i wouldn't i mean i like the theory so i do like your kind of positing the question of Mm -hmm. you know what does this like what is right the fading of elvish culture mean for where religion is heading right to more like to a more like heady place, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, religion less is physical and more spiritual. Right. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, too. That we have a move to a more individual. Mm hmm. And I can't help but think it's, you know, inseparable from Aragorn mm -hmm. as sort of this messiah figure who, as we've seen, inspires reverence mm -hmm. in, in, you know, the notoriously irreverent people of Brie mm -hmm. um, are kind of inspired by him, too. So I wonder, yeah, if it's kind of a shift to something more like monotheism in, in sort of, you know, Aragorn and the body of the king becomes the object of. Mm -hmm. And this might be a question for Return of the King. We might have more to say about it, but I do wonder if he becomes sort of the. God figure. Yeah, sort of. Right god king kind of yeah well because i don't see them like turning back to worship of Iluvatar, right because that's right i mean that's always kind of yeah. a weird thing is like Iluvatar, with the exception of that little bit in mm -hmm. um numenor like he's not really worshipped like god is worshipped in mm -hmm. like you know western christian religions right. he's mm -hmm. much more detached yeah and like disengaged from the world than most like christian worshipers yeah. would like to believe god is right um so what does right what becomes the object of worship then once like right. once this kind of elvish religion fades yep. Not that the elves are like idolatrous. They're not actually worshiping the object, but they're using their objects as a form of worship, which again, we've talked about iconography and. Uh, right. Yeah. It's, it's similar to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a religion that's tied up in both art and I guess philosophy reason. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, which is maybe I, I think is what you're saying about, you know, Aragorn maybe being Marcus Aurelius also maybe fits in with this. Thing. Right. But and again, I think we're just going back to the same thing we've talked about with yeah. the Silmarillion and Tolkien's letter about how like there's the like art and science. Right. And mm -hmm. that are is are we supposed to understand the men of this world, especially Aragorn and like these kingly figures as like this perfect blend of art and reason in mm -hmm. right the human yeah. yeah uh race whereas like elves are purely sort of this artistic like yes they're very wise but really their nature leads them to more of these kind of artistic heady pursuits mm -hmm. whereas basically tolkien's argument is kind of like the men of this world are very like they've got two feet on the ground Whereas the elves, like their heads are just kind of in mm -hmm. the clouds because, right, this world isn't necessarily for them. Varda is for right. them. Right. Um, so I think it's I think yep. it just all goes back to that. Yep. That first question of like. Mm -hmm. You know. Yep. Is the ideal this perfect marriage of mm -hmm. both art and reason? Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and not to be super obvious here, but Frodo's appeal doesn't accomplish anything either. <laughs> Right. Right. I mean, well, actually, I mean, it doesn't technically accomplish anything, but um, Aragorn. Maybe he refers to it again later at the Ford, but. Yes. And Aragorn does say that actually, like, his uttering of those words may have done more damage to the Black Riders than any, oh, like, right, weapon right. would have. So yeah. it does sort of 
right? It doesn't save him, but I it does at least like drive off. I think the yeah okay that's true, and he does mention it again at the river. yes. He tries again. <laughs> yeah, when he's challenging them, he mentions, yeah. Albrecht yes, Elbreth. And also Luthien. It's very strange. Yeah, which is so weird. Yeah, so he mentions Elbreth and Luthien, and it's like, what? It's just in his brain. He's just been thinking mm. about her a lot. He's elf-pilled. He really is. Frodo is fully um. elf-pilled. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. We don't, have, yeah, we don't have to have an answer, but I think, yeah, your point about, again, the yeah, combination of the two is maybe where we're heading. Yeah. Which is interesting because I think people, you know, myself included, right? Like reason and religion never seem to go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So what is Tolkien, you know, what, what potential things might Tolkien be saying about religion Mm -hmm. as a very religious man? Right. We know that. It's very, very capital R romantic view Mm -hmm. of faith, right? That they don't have to be at opposite. Cause I think like the, sort of knee-jerk reading of the Enlightenment versus the Romantic period question is like that they were totally opposed, but mm-hmm. the Romantics were not opposed to reason per se. It was just that it wasn't the end all. Mm-hmm. It didn't answer all the questions, right? Right. Um, in the way that the Enlightenment sort of posited it did or could. Um, the Romantics were saying you needed both imagination and reason, and maybe mm-hmm. that's maybe where some of this is coming from. Yes. Possibly. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but we talked about, you know, Tolkien's weirdly capital R romantic. Yes. Moments, so, yes. Anyway, do you want to close it out with a discussion of yeah. our, every, everyone's favorite resurrected elf, Glorfindel? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I did do some reading about him. I because, see that, yeah. Yeah, if you recall, listener, Glorfindel dies in the Silmarillion. Uh, during the flight from Gondolin, he is mm-hmm. fighting like a big creature, dragony, Dragon monstery thing. creature. Lizard. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of vague what it actually is. And he like falls to his death, and everyone's really, really sad. Here he is, uh, with on his horse, helping Frodo and the gang. So, so this is how he. So after he died, he went to the halls of Mantos. And the Valar were like, you are such a hero that we're going to give you your body back and you can live in Valar. So he comes back. He lives in Valar for a time. And during the Second Age, he was sent back to Middle-earth as an emissary. And he fought with Gil-galad and Elendil. And he like fought against, he like defeated the Witch King of Angmar, but then also was the one who predicted that no one can actually kill him. Uh, no man can kill him. Um, so his, we talked about Frodo's like vision of him, how he sees him different. So the reason why he's all like shimmery and light is because he, like Galadriel has been to Valinor and is like, so he's seeing the light of Amon, Mm -hmm. like, right. Like in, in the self, um, it's got a really good light of Amon tan. Yes. Yeah. He's got that glow. Mm-hmm. he wears a really he's got like he just bathes himself in highlighter every morning <laughs> so it's just like shimmery and beautiful um anyway so he came back and the valor granted him powers similar to that of a Maiar. and so one of my big questions is like why can't he do more against the black riders kind of like a question we ask about gandalf a yeah. lot is like what like why isn't he 
doing more like okay this is maybe like a do we buy that that's yeah. how he came back or is it just Tolkien legit made a mistake and like used the same name twice and we had to come up you know someone had to come up with a reason why I think it's the latter um but like okay whatever we're gonna buy into the fact that he was sent back to middle earth fine cool who cares really <laughs> it's kind of a moot point right whether he's yeah, the same person or a different yeah. person it doesn't really matter like two people can have like Tolkien used the name Denethor in the Silmarillion. Yes. So like, right. I don't know. I, I think it's interesting that there's all this like fuss about Glorfindel having the same name uh, as this elf that died in the Silmarillion. And we just can't for some reason believe that it might be a different elf. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but either way. So if we buy into this theory that he was this elf that came back as an emissary and has these Maiar like powers, like why does he seem kind of not useless but he's like not so helpful <laughs> yeah kind of I mean, like gandalf at times it's like you are a magic you are a wizard <laughs> do some magic <laughs> yeah i mean he leaves a little stone there for aragorn to find yeah uh he tells frodo that you're the only one they're gonna chase yep. <laughs> so don't worry about the rest of us because yep. you're the only one with your ass hanging out yep. in this party uh the most he does is whisper to the horse yeah to make it go fast to carry yep. Frodo far away yeah like that's his most yeah direct act in this section because he can't even heal uh he mm -hmm. can't even like help he can't do anything more than what Aragorn's already done right uh, which is insane wound. because they like get him to Elrond Elrond can heal him yeah, like yeah. how is Elrond more powerful than this person who is alleged and I think this this like right under undercuts this theory of like yeah. the fact that this is the Glorfindel who came back yeah I don't know it is weird. Um, and it's strange that Frodo is the one who has the standoff at the end. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We can talk about, um, about but that. right. So right. Why does he, I, yeah, I don't know why he, he should be able to do something more than this. Yeah. If you're, if you're telling me, and, right. If yeah. you're telling me that he comes back and he has the powers of a Maiar, like he absolutely should be able to do more <laughs> than sit Frodo on his horse and like slap it on the rump and, right. And send it on its way. Yeehaw. Hold on yeah. tight, little little buddy. <laughs> um Yeah, it is interesting that Frodo, especially again, I know we've said, like, we don't and you said earlier in this episode that like, we don't want to talk too much about the movies. But like this is such a this the movies take such a departure mm -hmm. in this section that I think it's like Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe worth discussing right do we like frodo by himself or do we want frodo with someone it's just weird that glorfindel isn't here in this yeah like why he is, doesn't why like is glorfindel sit him up? not the one delivering the line to the black right like well, I, yeah does it make it more powerful that like frodo is able to kind of like hold him off until the deus ex machina arrives in the form yeah. of the river i, I guess uh Right. I mean, it is sort of this final <laughs> confrontation with temptation because isn't he tempted to, sort you know, give in? He is not even tempted. He feels commanded urgently to halt. Right. OK, so, yeah, he again, the battle of the wills happens mm -hmm. here. And for whatever reason, he's able to win this time, mm -hmm. whereas on Weathertop, he isn't. 
so yes. much. Although I guess he kind of does there too in a different way. But in any event, um, I, I, I suppose it is. I don't know. For me, it doesn't really do much, honestly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe there's a greater significance to it, though, that I'm just not not seeing. I think it I think for me, the significance is at least that like we do see Frodo's strength a little more. You know, they've talked mm-hmm. a lot about how Frodo isn't quite like the other hobbits. Mm-hmm. There's something a little more elvish about him. He has more strength of will. And because we're setting up for him to be chosen as the ring bearer for the rest of the books, mm-hmm. I think we need to see that a little bit more, right? Because he's been tempted by the ring so many times. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to see here that he is not tempted by the ring, even though he is like overcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting. There's a mention of Tom Bombadil here, which is wild. To yeah. Me. He yeah. had not the power of Bombadil. Mm-hmm. as if Tom Bombadil could control I mean we we're told that he is Tom Bombadil has no power over the black riders I I don't know what the So that's an interesting Right like I don't know what the reference there is exactly Yeah But either way I think we yeah. need to see Frodo Okay finally yeah, like that. sticking up for himself yeah. I guess for that I mean, of a better way which King Agmar on the ankle with his sword, right? Yes, he does. After he oh. gets stabbed. <laughs> or before, right I, before he gets yeah. stabbed. So he's, and after you know. he puts on the ring. Right. I mean, he does have these little moments of strength. And I think mm-hmm. this is one of them. And I, again, I just think Tolkien is trying to set up like why yeah, Frodo is right. chosen as the okay. ring bearer. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess. It, uh, right. It yeah. has to be someone who's not going to be mm-hmm. tempted. Yeah. Right, because as many times as. Right, as many times as Frodo has been um, like tempted to put on the ring, he's only put it on one time. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and then on the Barrow Downs, he's kind of singled out as yeah, this de facto he, sort of yeah. special leader. Right, right. And maybe that's the Tom Bombadil reference, why it's here or something. Because mm-hmm. that time he calls on, he sings the song. Yeah, he sings the song mm-hmm. and Tom person into the tomb um whereas here I, I don't know if maybe he's means he can't do that again yeah i don't know yeah i'm not i think i, it, know, I think but, for me i think it just means he doesn't have like tom bombadil's alone, we talked yeah. well we talked about how tom bombadil's power comes from his voice you know his singing mm-hmm. his his power is all very vocal and he's the like line Pavarotti. is he's <laughs> right uh go back he cried go back to the land of mordor and follow me no more his mm. voice sounded thin and shrill in his own ears the riders halted but frodo had not the power of bombadil his enemies laughed uh with a harsh and chilling laughter so i think yeah right like he's just he doesn't have that same no. power in voice that tom bombadil has um but he does kind of stick up for himself is that uh, it i think so i mean what else he he made it yeah, he he survives. We yeah, can. We made it. We did. We made it all the way through the first book. Mm-hmm. Now we just have to get through the Council of Elrond. That's right. And we will. We'll rehash we much of what we read in the Silmarillion. Oh gosh. Okay. Well, something to look forward to. God bless. God. Aluvatar bless. Uh, oh, Elbereth. Gilthonio. Gilthonio. Don't make me hear all this Silmarillion <laughs> shit again. <laughs> Oh, but it has no effect uh, because 
Varda is not listening to our appeals. That's right. Uh, anyway, yes, we will. <laughs> next time we will be di- diving into many meetings and the Council of Alrond. And, you know, chatting as we see fit. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Me too. Thank you as always for listening. Yes. And send us questions. You know where to find us. Yes, you do. And if um, you don't, it's in the it's in the bio. <laughs> yeah, it's in the episode description every week or every episode, so you can find us there. Um, but we will see you next time. Watch out for those floodwaters that are actually made by the elves. That's right. Be careful. We'll get you mm, every time. <laughs> Bye. Bye.